0: 30 on a Tuesday, the 23rd day of February, which means it's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen in sports here in just a moment. Bob Brogan is sitting down right now. He'll tell us how the stock market is performing as well. Hopefully you're enjoying these nice spring-like temperatures. We're seeing 58 degrees right now already in Thedford, mostly 50s in southwest and western Nebraska. Only a couple locations in the 30s. We'll get the full Weather forecasts coming up at 1145 with Paul Perkins. But let's check in with our own Susan Littlefield. And Susan, how are you doing on this Tuesday?
1: I tell you, it is a beautiful day. I'm doing great. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. And it's not super muddy yet.
0: Not yet, uh, but it's going <laughs> uh, to be sloppy out there the next couple of days.
1: Yes, and if I can just put out one warning to folks, drive extra careful on our county roads throughout sure. our listing area because mm. they're getting sloppy as well.
0: That's a good point. And also, it's a good day. If uh, you got some chores done, look for some free time, head out east to the Nebraska Expo as well.
1: Exactly. That's taking place in Lincoln. We'll be hearing more as the day goes on from both Bryce and Chad, who are there in attendance. Mm -hmm. But here's something that's kind of interesting. This is how we're going to kick off the midday from us at 1219. I spoke with Bill Brown. He had a booth at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic last week. He was one of the top ten finalists in the Farm Bureau's Ag Innovators Challenge. And he developed an electric fence monitor called Insulites Literally, it's American-made product that hangs on your fence, and it blinks. If it's not blinking, your fence isn't working. Mm, that could be handy. Yeah. Could be some time savers for folks right. as they're driving down the road. You know, nobody ever has a fence tester when they need it. So <laughs> That's right. So we're going to talk about this idea that this Iowa farm boy had, and that comes up at 1219. And, of course, everybody by now has heard about Poss Angus and their $900,000 bull that was sold, Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna talk with Pa Angus on a little bit of background about the history and the family and this bull that when it hit the ground, they didn't think he was gonna be much of anything until he got a little bit older. So we'll talk more about that at twelve forty five. And then Chabella will excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. Chabella wraps up everything as she continues her HPAL interviews that we heard yesterday. We'll find out more details from her at one seventeen.
0: All right, good stuff. Thank you very much. Susan, enjoy your day
1: you as well thanks
0: all right let's turn things over to jason georgson in sports uh another busy day on tap but uh postseason high school basketball
1: you know, that's right and
2: we have three games to bring everyone today of course we'll have the d19 games tonight here on 880 krvn elm creek is hosting that event uh, we'll hear from head coach tanner keveny about what home court advantage could possibly mean for the buffaloes over on cammy country c111 second game tonight that has Minden taking on Kozet. We'll have that on Kamei Country. The first game at 6 is Holdridge against Carney Catholic. That game can be heard in the Holdridge area on KUVR. Also, the uh, Husker men in action tonight against the only team they've beaten so far in the Big Ten, Penn State. That's a 7 o'clock tip-off. We'll see. You can catch that one over on the Big Ten Network. Also, big game for Kansas tonight. To see if they're back in the form as they mm-hmm. take on Texas.
0: Been playing a little bit better little, recently.
2: Little, but they're, they're not there. It'll hey, they're, they're ranked. Yeah,
0: they are. <laughs> which is weird to say that yeah. we're cheering that on yeah. at this point. All right, thank you very much. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks looking on this Tuesday?
3: Well, there's been a decline in tech stocks and uh, an increase in bond yields. So uh, that's what we're kind of watching right now. Also, Fed Chair Jerome Powell is uh, making some comments about interest rates. Uh, we'll have details on those.
0: All right, all of that and more coming up on Midday. Here's... Time for regional ag weather update. Paul Perkins now joining me in the studio. And, well, Paul, we're seeing already 50s across pretty much all of northeast Colorado, 60s in Kansas, and 50s and 40s throughout Nebraska.
4: And you can really tell where the snow is right now, and that is right along I-80, basically from Sydney to about the Ogallala and North Platte area. Uh, especially from about the lexington to holdage and alma area and points off towards the northeast this is where we do have temperatures mainly in the low to mid 40s right along i80 from especially west central nebraska on into central and east nebraska but over southwest nebraska northern kansas also into north central and northeast nebraska we have temperatures uh, warming into the 50s we're already up to 57 right now at o'neill 56 at thetford And as you mentioned, some upper 50s to low 60s over northern Kansas and much of northeast Colorado. And because of dry conditions already starting to show up in western Kansas or west and central Kansas, we could be seeing a higher risk for fire danger today.
0: Mm, Okay, something to uh, keep a a thought on and keep an eye on. Now, it does feel like a spring day down in the Kansas region Mm. with uh, 60s already.
4: (laughs) Yeah, and unbelievably warm. And, of course, yesterday we saw a big-time warm-up. Compared to last week, many of our daytime highs yesterday were about 55 degrees warmer than what we had last Monday, and probably going to be the same for today, even though Tuesday of last week was a little bit warmer, of course today a little bit warmer also.
0: Well, I'm not sure anybody's complaining (laughs) about the temperatures we're
4: seeing today. Yep, just some strong westerly winds, but those westerly winds helping in a nice warm-up. We'll be just ahead of a cold front today, so sunshine on the way with our warmest weather of the next seven days for today. Breezy to windy westerly downslope winds will result in temperatures 10 to 20 degrees warmer than usual we do have a high wind warning in effect for the southern nebraska panhandle today for wind gusts up to about 70 miles per hour but we're also seeing some of those 70 to 80 mile an hour wind gusts into eastern wyoming an 81 mile an hour wind gust being reported in uh, rock river wyoming which is just to the northwest of laramie fire danger concerns increasing with the drier and warmer air in areas of northern kansas Due to the lack of snow cover, many in Nebraska are wondering, what are you talking about there? But that is the case. The cold front that will be moving through late today introduces cooler but not Arctic air for tomorrow on Thursday. Temperatures cooling to slightly below normal. A westerly flow will warm our temperatures back to seasonal for Friday and Saturday. Temperatures slightly below average for Sunday and Tuesday as low pressure begins to track through. Ahead of that low on Sunday, there will be mostly a chance for some light rain. Monday night into Tuesday, the time to watch when that main low moves through, and there's a chance for mostly snow with that system. The trend to cooler temperatures won't last long in our long-term forecast. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures the early half of next week expected to be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal. Temperatures warm to slightly above normal late next week through March 8th. In early March for central Nebraska, the average daytime highs in the mid-upper to upper 40s with average overnight lows in the low 20s. Slightly above normal precipitation is forecast the early half of next week for Nebraska and Kansas. A drier outlook of below-normal precipitation is indicated late next week through March 8th. In the spring flood outlook from the Hastings National Weather Service, there is an above-normal risk in south-central Nebraska for ice jam and snowmelt flooding until the snow has melted and the ice is off the rivers. Possibly through the first week of march here there is around one to two inches of liquid right now within the snowpack and the river ice and the depth of the frost will be at least near to normal perhaps even a little above normal increasing that chance for runoff Due to no snow, northern Kansas at a low risk for spring flooding beyond the first week of March for Nebraska and Kansas. Right now, a below normal risk for spring flooding due to dry soil moisture and the long-term forecast hedging towards drier than normal for precipitation. Key weather factors driving the markets include the continuation of La Nina weather issues in South America and varying weather conditions in the U.S. southern plains. In the southern plains, this week will be fairly dry, precipitation is predicted for this weekend with moderate amounts in southern areas mostly light amounts to the north the lighter precipitation in the north and west areas of the southern plains means drought will continue across central brazil moderate to heavy rain continues to be forecast further delaying the soybean harvest and second crop corn planting southern brazil will stay drier something that's consistent with la nina la nina also means heat and dryness will continue in crop areas of central argentina through the next week, the heat and dryness coming into time when row crops are in the filling stage. Now, I don't
0: want to look too far in the future uh, because we're enjoying these temperatures right now, but uh, the chance of snow
4: next week, are we anticipating a big storm to come through? Right now, it's not indicating uh, we'll see a lot of snow, maybe a lot of it more to the south and east, and we could actually see some of it come as some rain mm. uh, with the initial wave on Sunday, maybe a little bit more on Monday. But if it does stay cold enough Monday night into Tuesday and went down, if we see a couple inches of snow. But nothing uh, ominous at this time.
0: Knock on wood.
4: Yeah. Knock on wood. All right. Very (laughs) good. There's something to be watching, yes.
0: All right. Uh, For a full weather forecast, where can they
4: find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. All right. Thank you.
1: Sometimes it's the simplest piece of equipment that makes life for a livestock owner just that much easier. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During last week's Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic, I caught up with Bill Brown. He actually was named a top 10 finalist in the Farm Bureau Ag Innovations Challenge this year. His product? Insulites. He explains.
5: Uh, well, I, I'm not launching a rocket here. It's uh, electric fence insulator. I grew up on the farm, just like I and my wife did too, in Iowa. Uh, we got tired of touching the fence to see if it was hot. Uh, we board horses and we've had cattle. And so uh, being able to just have a visual indication that the, work, the fence is working and not have to get out of the truck is uh, is kind of why we got into this.
1: Describe how it works because it's simple, it's portable, you can see it from a great distance, and you're global with these insulates.
5: Well, we're pretty, uh, we are pretty fortunate. We tried, we worked really hard to make sure a couple things. We want to make it affordable to the farmers and ranchers. Uh, and we also wanted to make it, uh, we want to make them here in the United States. You know, the Insulites are uh, are made in um you know, there's, there's a circuit board inside that picks up that surge of burst of energy and flashes and lets you know that the fence is working. Uh, those are made in Mankato, Minnesota at EI Microsystems. And the plastics, uh, the plastic insulator portion is made at Den Hartog Industries in Hospers, Iowa, which is about 42 miles from our house. And so I can go pick up our components. And that was pretty important. And we wanted to be able to make it so, you know, Anybody can afford it. You can walk into a farm and ranch store and put a $20 bill and walk out.
1: Explain how it works.
5: Well, yeah, it's, an, it's a universal insulator to begin with. And so it fits on the steel post, the T-post. You can nail it to wood posts. Or a lot of guys are just hanging them on the wire. So it's an, it's an insulator, which, you know, uh, there's a lot of them out there. This is the one that's made in the United States. Um, but also there is an enclosure portion that has a circuit board that, with a proximity circuit that picks up that burst of energy when it comes down through the wire and flashes a high-intensity LED. So At night, you can see it from a quarter mile away, 400 yards. I walk by my living room, 200 yards, my horse fence is flashing.
1: I want to know how you came up with this idea.
5: Well, I, I'm, first of all, I'm not electrical engineer. I want to be <laughs> perfectly clear with that. Um, you know, I, I really... You know there's a lot of smart people out there, and so I did a lot of research on it uh We really wanted it to be able just to be able to have that uh the indication that the fence is not down and so um I you know incorporated a couple of engineers and say this is what I want to do and it took me a combination of about two or three of them and uh and so we're pretty excited we've, we've been out since the Big Iron Show in Fargo, North Dakota about two and a half years now. And we're, you know, we're shipping them to Sri Lanka to, you know, we have ones that these are current here in the U.S. They flash red. We have blue ones in Sri Lanka that keeps the elephants out of the, I know people are smiling about this, but are keeping the elephants out of the residential. Uh, South Africa loves them. Uh, what happens is that. Uh, in South Africa, every home and business out there has a high-tensile electric fence around their homes and their businesses. And so, for them, not have to, you know, walk into the, the enclosure to see if the fence is working and be able to just to kind of visually see the the viability of the fence. Uh, this can be pretty popular.
1: That's Bill Brown, inventor of Insulites. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network.
6: Nebraska's launched a federally funded aid program for renters and landlords who have lost income due to the pandemic, but residents of the state's two largest counties won't be eligible. The program, managed by the Nebraska Investment Finance Authority, offers a maximum of 15 months of rental or mortgage assistance per applicant up to $20,000. State officials say it's only available to tenants who make 80% or less of their county's median income and who can show they're unable to pay rent because of a financial hardship caused by the pandemic or they're at risk of becoming homeless. Douglas and Lancaster counties have their own programs already. The Colorado company working to build a mine in southeast Nebraska to extract a rare heat-resistant element says it has purchased a key piece of land the mine would be built on. Niocor Development said that it purchased the land near Elk Creek where the proposed Niobium mine would be built. The company didn't release the price of the land, but the purchase came a week after Niocor secured $10 million in funding from an investment fund. The proposed mine is expected to create over 400 jobs and require more than $1 billion in construction costs. NIOCOR is working to raise enough money to build the mine. Governor Pete Ricketts has designated this week as Nebraska FFA Week in honor of youth who are learning about careers in the state's top industry. One of the speakers at Monday's designation at the state capitol was Nebraska FFA President Madison Strakey of Stewart. We are beyond grateful to have such strong support here in Nebraska for FFA. It is truly an organization that will have a forever impact. Agriculture will never disappear, so we will always have a great need for great leaders and advocates in uh, the agriculture industry. So therefore, our future depends on the FFA members of today. More than 700,000 FFA members across the country, including more than 10,000 in Nebraska, are celebrating National FFA Week. A Kansas House committee has approved a bill to create an independent agency to oversee Kansas's foster care system. The House Children and Seniors Committee advanced the bill creating the Office of the Child Advocate. The agency would investigate complaints and track child welfare agencies primarily the Kansas Department of Children and Families, which oversees the foster care system. The move came after the bill's chief proponent agreed to have the proposed agency report to the Republican-led legislature instead of an executive branch agency under Democratic Governor Laura Kelly. That bill now goes to the full Kansas House for a vote. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder on the last rural radio forum
2: we get in touch summer I think then uh, we will have I think done our job and and uh, hopefully get everything everybody everybody's needs met and get on uh, to the next issue
7: through that whole process getting over the hurdles with the pandemic and pivoting to online and and seeing successful sales and Seeing positive feedback on posts on social media, you know, will continue to help that, that growth and, and beyond, I
6: think, whatever comes of the pandemic in the
2: future. In many ways, agriculture really saved the day for America because we did plant a crop. We're going to have food to, to eat, despite all the, all the problems. We got our crop planted and we got our
5: crop harvested. Listen to the podcast at krvn.com.
1: By now, everybody's heard the excitement about the $900,000 bull that was sold out of Nebraska. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I was able to catch up with Nolan Poss. He's with Poss Angus as he talks about the Poss Angus Ranch near Scotia, Nebraska, and this bull. But first, some background on the family operation.
8: So, uh, my dad is a first-generation Angus breeder, which and my brother, a second generation. Uh, my grandparents ran uh, commercial cattle, and my dad just always had a passion for genetics and, uh, you know, just creating value with the cattle you have, and he kind of got hooked on the Angus uh, cow, and just uh back in the early 90s started buying, well, late 80s, early 90s, he uh, started buying just, Heifer calves at local sales and stuff. He kind of knew the kind and type that he wanted and just started building a cow herd and utilizing, uh, AI. And then, uh, as the, as it became available, he started using embryo work and, um, we just tried to stay progressive with our genetics. And, um, now we've got a good sized cow herd built up. Um, we're, we are a diversified operation. We do farm. Uh, corn and soybeans and we put up all of our own hay of, uh, alfalfa and native prairie hay. Um, so our whole family is involved. We're a family operation. Uh, everyone kind of has their role and their day to day task.
1: So tell me a little bit, you you talk about your dad liking the genetics and really kind of latching on. What was the key? What was the one thing in the Angus breed and as you guys have continued to develop your brand that sticks out to you guys and a good quality heifer and, and obviously a good quality bull as well?
8: Yeah, um, you know, we just uh, we just try to come, or we just, you know, try to breed with a balanced approach. You know, we want the cattle to look good they need to have structural soundness they need to have a uh, good confirmation and then you know we also like them to have the genetics backing them up as well uh we feel that the science behind the dna is starting to get far more accurate and um it's something that we're utilizing very heavily but you know at the same time the cattle also also still need to look good and you know our primary goal is to raise, customer, to raise cattle that thrive for our commercial cattlemen and that's kind of how we treat our cow herd as well because if the cattle don't work for our customers then we don't have we don't have a customer base.
1: Did you know when Deadwood hit the ground as a as a bull calf <laughs> that he had the potential to be something amazing?
8: Um, You know we uh, we didn't really have the uh we really had the idea quite that he would be what he is until uh, it was about august when we that was when the dna came back and it kind of solidified what his potential was
1: so what is his potential
8: um you know he just has a strong combination that's hard to find he's got he's got good foot quality he's got structural integrity uh he's on a he's, he's got a pedigree backing him that uh Shows strong maternal excellence, but he's also got the DNA that shows he's going to have carcass quality and uh, serious performance and growth. He's just kind of a do-it-all bull.
1: Did you ever expect a sale like that with him when you decided that he wasn't going to stay on the farm?
8: Uh, you know, it, we had a we had a good idea that he would kind of ring the dinger, but we never really had an idea that he would do what he did. Um It's kind of hard to predict and prepare yourself for something like that, but we were just very humbled and grateful that it all turned out the way it did.
1: What I think is really cool about this is he's 100% raised by you guys, uh, both the sire and the dam, coming right from Angus.
8: So uh, kind of a funny deal. So the dam, she traces back to one of the very first cows my dad actually ever bought. He bought her in, I believe, 1991. Uh, from cork and cattle down in Hastings. And then, uh, we raised a bull here about 11 years ago. Uh, we ended up naming him Easy Impact and we, he was just kind of our type of bull. He just, he left us really good daughters and, uh, just functional, good cattle. And then, uh, here about four years ago, we raised a bull called Maverick and when we had the, we had a lot of daughters out of easy impact and we kind of came to the conclusion that if we could, you know, if we could breed Maverick to these easy impact daughters, we thought we could, uh, hit a home run. And last year we sold a bull, uh, Poss rawhide and he brought 140,000 and he's a Maverick out of an easy impact daughter. So he's a three quarter blood brother to Deadwood. And then, so we thought we, we thought we hit the home run last year and, uh we're pretty pumped and thought it was a good we're heading in a good direction, then all this kinda happened. Now I think we kinda hit a grand slam.
1: That's my conversation with Nolan Poss and Poss Angus as we talk about the operation and that bull, Deadwood. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network.
3: With business report for Tuesday, I'm Bob Brogan. Declines in technology companies are dragging stocks lower as investors remain increasingly focused on a big tick up in bond yields and what it means for the overall market. Major indexes pared a good part of their losses by the afternoon. The S&P 500 index was down eight tenths of a percent after being down more than 1.3 percent earlier. The technology-heavy Nasdaq Composite was down 2% after being down 3.5% earlier. Shares of big technology companies like Apple, Tesla, Amazon, and Microsoft were all down, but not as much as in the early going. U.S. home prices surged at the fastest pace in nearly seven years in December, fueled by low mortgage rates and Americans moving from urban apartments to houses in the suburbs. The S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller 20-City Home Price Index climbed 10.1% in December from a year earlier. The year-end jump was the biggest since April 2014 and follows a strong 9.2% year-over-year gain in November. U.S. consumer confidence rose again in February as an improved COVID-19 vaccine push has Americans more optimistic about the future. The Conference Board reports that its Consumer Confidence Index rose to 91.3, up from 88.9 in January. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is underscoring the U.S. economy's ongoing weakness in remarks that suggest the Fed sees no need to alter its ultra-low interest rate policies anytime soon. Powell's comments to the Senate Banking Committee are in contrast to increasing optimism among many analysts that the economy will grow rapidly later this year. That outlook has also raised concerns about a potential surge in inflation and fueled a sharp increase in longer-term interest rates this year. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan.
1: It's a sobering fact that suicide rates among farmers are among the highest of any profession. Join us as a panel of farmers and rural mental health advocates discuss their personal experiences in dealing with depression and stress and the strategies and resources available to help yourself or someone you care about. An important conversation about mental health on the farm. Brought to you by this station and Commodity Classic.
0: Listen to this special one-hour program Monday, March 1st at 6 p.m. on 880-KRVN.
7: The University of Nebraska-Lincoln High Plains Ag Lab outside of Sydney focuses predominantly on hard red winter wheat. Farmers use winter wheat fallow in the cropping system, which lends itself to weeds. Problematic for the wheat acres are annual grass weeds such as downy brome, jointed goatgrass, grass, and feral rye. Drew Lyon, extension weed scientist at Washington State University, had been hired in 1990 to work on the weed problem at HPAL. He says at the time there weren't any selective herbicides to take grass weeds out of grass crops.
9: So what I looked at then, how can crop rotation help? And so we started to look at adding summer crops to the rotation to try to give us more than one year in between wheat crops so that we could get the soil seed bank to be depleted a bit. And so we started working with a number of uh, summer crops. I worked closely with Dr. David Baltensperger, who at the time was the alternative crops person, gave me some some of the crops he thought had the best chance of working, and we'd uh, fit them into the rotation. I'd look for ways to control weeds in the summer crops, and we'd look to see how we can get the summer crops to grow.
7: Lyon says water became a big factor with the summer crops and no-till or reduced tillage became important to save the moisture in the soil. This early work on weed control and adding summer crops would play a big factor for future studies.
9: The, the benefit of a weed control and then the benefits of um, being able to more intensively crop. So in a wheat fallow system, half your ground isn't fallow. Fallow produces no income. It's a, in fact a cost to maintain fallow. So by adding a summer crop, we could go from a half your land in fallow to one third of your land in fallow, and then we were starting to work on um, trying to get rid of fallow altogether. There's a lot of negative aspects for soil health involved with uh, fallow, um, and we wanted to see whether we could uh, reduce that and get it, maybe even get it gone completely.
7: Lyon and the researchers did work on flexible fallow, where a farmer looks at the soil moisture early on and decides whether or not to take it into a crop. And the researchers began looking at other ways to help the soil for wheat and other monetary venues for farmers.
9: We started to do a lot of work with Carla Jenkins on um, grazing for forages. Uh, I'd worked with Gary Peterson quite a bit. He was quite a mentor for me. Um, he, He was a professor at Colorado State University, doing systems, and, and we kind of, uh, along with other uh, researchers in there, kind of settled on if we were going to get rid of fallow forages were probably the way to go um, because they they don't grow as long, so they don't lose, lose, use as much soil water, and so they might be a good way to, to get rid of fallow altogether is incorporate forages. So we started looking at using forages uh, in that system to get rid of fallow um,
7: Lyon says the researchers have always kept a strong tie with the growers, who are always very supportive.
9: Grower support was really critical, and one of the things that really um, kept the ag lab going, right? So when uh, when the university occasionally would have uh, budget cuts and want to do certain things, um, that group would often go and fight <laughs> to keep resources coming to the ag lab to keep uh, research happening for the dryland farmers. From the very beginning of the Ag Lab um, through the time I was there, and from my understanding still is the case, a uh, very active and supportive group of growers is is, an, is critical to uh, maintaining the, the facility there.
7: The UNL High Plains Ag Lab near Sydney recently celebrated its 50th anniversary. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. <laughs>
2: Play Patton on the World Radio Network as we talk to John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing and Chicago Publisher, of the newsletter this week in grain. And a nice run-up in soybeans here today, but we back away from the highs as we start to roll into the settlements. Does this give us any indication going in the rest of the week that maybe we've established that weekly high?
10: Oh, boy. You know, it's emotional up here near the high. We, we, when we traded up there 14.25, it was there for all of a minute and then just completely fell apart from there. Uh, so you gotta think there's product being moved here. There are, you know, delivery deadlines that are going to kick in. Um, but you know, we're, we're kind of at risk in the global markets of kind of a reshuffling of the deck, so to speak, that it do happen have to, that will have to happen quickly, uh, given how slow things are coming out of Brazil. And that's, I don't know, it's an odd dynamic, you know, it creates short term squeezes. So maybe, maybe the strategy is to sell it. Uh, I think then, um, you know, we'll, we'll know a lot more down the road, obviously, but by then it's too late. So you got to have a little bit of hope if you sell it that, you know, the crop will turn out okay, or if not, you know, if you hold on. Prices could certainly go out and break out. I think seeing it in the December contract and the new crop, November, on the bean side are both good, uh, good signals that, that old crop can certainly rally as well.
2: Is it interesting to see the spread action between the wheats today here was Chicago actually able to end successfully in the grain but Kansas City still on the downside
10: yeah that's that's an interesting trade to me. I think in the longer run you you should see that this is an opportunity to get into that position in my opinion. maybe you look down the curve a little bit don't don't trade the uh the may I think the may could could be real wild here, especially on the Chicago side. they have tight stocks, so you, you split the country in half the eastern wheat wheat belt is is tighter, but they've got more acreage growth. Um, so they could have a better carryover situation at the end of this marketing year. And vice versa, on the other side, you're going to have, like, hard red we- hard red spring wheat up north. We'll, we'll probably see some rationing up there. and uh, But that doesn't change the near-term picture. There's supply available right now. And I think, you know, if you're an end user, this is these are opportunities, in my opinion, at least until we, we kind of see what the U.S. crop looks like. I, I just don't think you're going to see a whole lot of break there, uh, the, even in the wheat prices as harvest approaches.
2: We've got about 15 seconds here, John, but as we look, energy prices continue to act reflationary. I assume that still gives long-term inflationary support here to the grains.
10: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Federal Reserve this morning kind of confirmed all hands on deck as far as quantitative easing goes. We're going to grow at 60% next year. There's going to be demand. I'm not worried about that. Supply, we don't know, you know.
2: That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. You can always learn more at DanielsAgMarketing.com. That's where you can sign up for his daily newsletter, This Week in Grain. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss. and may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these these risks before investing.
3: right, thank
0: you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. Don't forget, you can catch the Midday Podcast sponsored by Duveni Motors at krvn.com.
5: Attention, cattlemen. The Glouses at Lazy Black Diamond Ranch, Palmer, Nebraska, will be hosting their Angus production sale at Huss Livestock in Kearney, Nebraska, on Saturday, February 27th at 1 p.m. Offering 110 stout yearling Angus bulls with a blend of calving ease, growth, and maternal power for commercial and registered cattlemen alike. Also offering 46 fancy open replacement Angus Heifers. Sires represented include LBDR 7108 Power Tool, LBDR 5142 Power Tool, Tex Playbook, Musgrave Cracker Jack, LBDR 6145 Broken Bow, TC Forthright 333, Rangefinder, A&B Ferguson, Bruning Wabash, Millbar Black Granite, and others. Celebrating 70 years in business, registered Angus since 1951. The Glouses at Lazyback Diamond Ranch look forward to seeing you on sale day, Saturday, February 27th at Huss Livestock, Kearney, Nebraska. To request a catalog, go to lbdrangus.com. That's
0: lbdrangus.com.